0: Thanks for tuning in to Amy on the Hill, a podcast born out of Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, which says, You are the light of the world, a city set on a hill. much for listening to the podcast today for those of you who are regular listeners you know that we're in the second to last week of our study of the gospel of mark and timothy keller's book jesus the king can you believe that next week is our last week of this study for those of you who may be wondering what's next if you're wondering if we'll be doing another book study the answer is yes god willing we will be doing another book study soon We'll finish up this study next week, and we'll have two weeks off over the Easter holiday. And then again, God willing, the podcast will be back with a new episode on May 1st. At that time, I should have details for you on the next book study. So if you're interested in reading along with us again, be sure to tune in for that. To be clear, the next study will not be starting on May 1st. I'll just have details about the next book study for you on May 1st. So don't worry. You don't need to order a book or do anything over the holiday. You'll find out everything you need to know when the podcast returns after Easter, okay? Also, for those of you who are listening into the podcast for the first time here, welcome! As you've probably deduced, a lot of this podcast kind of functions as a virtual book club. That's not the only thing we do on this podcast, but that is a big part of it, and Since we're coming to the end of our current book study, it's probably going to be impossible for you to catch us at this point. But I still want to invite you to stick with us today and to listen in to our discussion. Regardless of whether or not you've been reading, I think you're still going to find the discussion edifying and hopefully interesting so Please don't go anywhere. You can uh, get a sense for whether you like the format of this podcast, and if so, you might want to join us for our next book study, which, as you just heard, is starting soon. Last, if anyone is interested in checking out our current reading schedule to see what we've been reading from week to week, or if you want to go back and maybe Listen to past episodes of the podcast and read along uh, on your own. You can always uh, pull up a copy of the reading schedule under the resources section of my website, amyonthill.com. Okay, so with that, let's take a minute to stop and pray, and then we'll get started with the discussion portion of our podcast. Okay, so. Whatever you've got going on, I know uh, listening to a podcast, we're all doing a hundred different things out there. Some of us are driving, maybe you're folding laundry, packing lunches, getting ready for bed, whatever you're doing for a few minutes here, let's just direct our full attention to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. And right now, as we enter into prayer, we specifically want to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. 1 Corinthians 12, 3 says that no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. What does it mean for us to say that Jesus is Lord? Father, when we say Jesus is Lord, we're saying that Jesus is in charge, we're saying that Jesus is the boss. We're saying not our way, but Jesus' way. We're submitting ourselves to the lordship of Jesus. We don't just want to be people who know a lot about Jesus. We don't just want to study your holy word so we can have a lot of head knowledge. We want to live and thrive under the sovereign reign of of the Lord Jesus. We want to be filled with your Holy Spirit. We want to be good and faithful servants of Jesus, the Lord of our lives. God, as we often pray, everything in this world, especially in the generation in which we live, everything in this world seems to be either a temptation or a distraction. Even good gifts from you can become a problem for us when we elevate those gifts above our love for you. Please help us, Lord, to submit ourselves and to submit our thoughts and to submit our gifts, to submit everything to you as Lord. You are the Lord and we love you. We ask that you would please continue to use this study and podcast for your glory and for our growth. Give everyone who is listening a fertile heart to receive seeds of righteousness so that we will reap steadfast love. Do in us what no one listening can do in ourselves. God, we believe and we hope in you. Again, it's in Jesus's holy name we pray, and it's in Jesus's holy name we claim all the promises of your word. Thank you, Lord. Amen. so this past week we read three chapters from Jesus the King. We read chapters 15, 16, and 17 uh, from Jesus the King, and from the Gospel of Mark we read chapter 15. So our discussion this week will be drawn from this reading, and for those of you who are reading along, you know that we're now getting to the part of the text relating to Jesus's final days and his crucifixion, and these are not feel-good Bible stories, but the lessons are so rich and so beautiful as we press into what Jesus sacrificed for our forgiveness and reconciliation to God. Our forgiveness was not free. Just like the forgiveness we extend to others comes at a cost to us. Forgiveness costs something, and the Lord Jesus demonstrated the supreme example of this for us when he purchased our forgiveness at the great cost of his life and even of his relationship with the Father. Jesus was cut off from and forsaken by the Father when he bore the wrath of God for our sins. And today we're going to attempt to press into uh, this in our discussion. As you are uh, probably anticipating, again, this will not be Uh, a feel-good Bible story. A lot of times the study of God's Word will lift our spirits and leave us with joy. Uh, But at other times like today, God's Word will be sobering. And we need it to do both. At different times in our lives and in our walks with the Lord, it's good for our soul to experience a range of emotions like this. It's good for our soul to walk through different seasons, to scale a mountain, and then to have to cry out to the Lord in a valley. Both of these are good for our soul. In fact, we see throughout scripture that there were times for fasting and there were times for feasting. It's good for us to enter into all different kinds of occasions with God. And I think uh, sometimes, especially as Americans, Uh, unless we're going through a, a particularly difficult time in our lives, we're just in like this perpetual state of feasting. We just feast, feast, feast. If we want to watch a television show, we indulge in it. If we want to pick up, you know, a new outfit for Saturday night, we pull out the card. If we want to obsess over ourselves or our houses or our children or our careers or our relationships, we give ourselves over to those obsessions we rarely deny ourselves if we can indulge ourselves we rarely tell ourselves no if we want it and we can get it we take it if a thought comes to our mind good or bad we entertain it so uh, so long as our schedules allow we're doing what we want when we want we're just feasting we're just feasting um but as i've shared On the podcast uh, before, Ecclesiastes 7.2 says that it's better for us to go into a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, for death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. So what that's saying is not that feasting's bad, okay? What it's saying is, uh, if given the choice between feasting and going into a house of mourning, it's better to go into a house of mourning why well because in a house of mourning you think about real things you consider your own end you take what's important to heart and that's why today uh, though we are looking at uh, a serious and sobering account in scripture it's good for us to enter into this house of mourning it's healthy for us to take to heart what Jesus did for us so that we can even more fully enjoy our time in the house of feasting, rather than taking it for granted like we often do, indulging without appreciation, losing perspective, and gorging ourselves until we feel sick. Last week, if you listen to the podcast, you'll remember that we discussed the four glasses of wine taken during the Passover feast. And these four glasses of wine represent the four promises of God found in Exodus chapter 6, uh, verses 6 through 7. And again, if you listen, you'll remember we discussed that the cup Christians take in communion is the fulfillment of God's third promise, the promise of redemption. So our communion cup is the fulfillment of the third cup of the four cups in the Passover feast. And so this week, as promised, we're going to discuss this third cup a little more. To start our discussion, I'm going to read Mark chapter 14, verses 32 through 36, um, which begin after the conclusion of the Passover, and Jesus and his disciples sang a hymn. It says uh, that they went Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus knows his blood is the blood of the new covenant. His blood is what fills the cup of redemption. And, and as he confronts uh, the reality of this sacrifice. He becomes astonished and overcome with horror. Now, in the New International Version, uh, the translation says that Jesus began to be greatly distressed and troubled. But remember, Keller taught us this week in our reading in the Greek, this actually means Jesus became astonished and overcome with horror. And that really struck me in a new way as I read uh, this week. Jesus was astonished and overcome with horror of this. Keller writes, think back on the Gospel of Mark up to this point. Jesus has been totally unflappable, but here, suddenly, something he sees, something he realizes, something he experiences stuns the eternal Son of God. Okay, so I don't know about you, but I never really thought about this before. I don't even really remember reading this part of the book the other times I've read this book. Again, as I've mentioned previously, this is actually my third time reading this book, but God really got my attention with this in a new way as I read through it this time. I'm actually going to read a little more of what Keller wrote about this uh, later in the chapter. Keller went on to say, Something happened in the garden. Jesus saw, felt, sensed something, and it shocked the unshockable Son of God. What was it? He was facing something beyond physical torment. Even beyond physical death, something so much worse that these were like flea bites by comparison. He was smothered by a mere whiff of what he would go through on the cross. Didn't he know he was going to die? Yes, but we're not talking about information here. Of course he knew that. He had told the disciples so repeatedly. But now he's beginning to taste what he will experience on the cross, and it goes far beyond physical torture and death. What is this terrible thing? It's at the very heart of Jesus' prayer here. Take this cup from me. Um, I think I was especially moved by the Jonathan Edwards quote Keller shared uh, from Jonathan Edwards' sermon, Christ's Agony." In that sermon, Edwards explained that in order uh, for it to be properly said that Jesus of his own volition endured the sufferings that were so great, in order to say that Jesus did that uh, of his own act and choice, then Jesus would have had to have experienced in some extraordinary way how great these sufferings were to be before he actually endured them. And Edwards said that this extraordinary sense was given to Jesus in his agony. Wow. So what I understand Edwards to be saying here is that in order for Jesus uh, to have willingly laid down his life, Jesus had to have a sense of what that suffering meant uh, before he actually endured it. Otherwise, it would not have been been a conscious choice. Uh, And I was really moved by that this week, thinking about uh, Jesus in the garden and trying to imagine um, the astonishment and the horror he began to realize on that night. Have you ever thought about that before? Jesus was loved enough to know he could express his emotions to the Father in the garden that night. He was safe to express his desire that the Father would take the cup from him. He didn't have to pretend like he was totally cool with what he was being asked to do. He cried out to God to deliver him, and yet he loved the Father, and he loved us enough to say, yet not what I will, but what you will. Of this, Keller writes, that love, whose obedience is wide and long and high and deep enough to dissolve a mountain of rightful wrath, is the love you've been looking for all your life. No family love, no friend love, no mother love, no spousal love, no romantic love, nothing could possibly satisfy you like that. All those other kinds of loves will let you down. This one never will. All right, so we're going to skip chapter 16 for a moment. We'll come back to that in the next segment. But for now, I want us to consider chapter 17, entitled The End. And what really stood out to me in this chapter was the way that Jesus was utterly forsaken. Remember in Mark chapter 11, we read, the disciples threw their cloaks over a colt and brought it to Jesus who sat on it. And then as Jesus entered Jerusalem on the cult, many spread their cloaks on the road and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields and people went before him and others followed behind him shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest. But this week, We consider Jesus' betrayal and arrest and crucifixion. Less than a week before, crowds were going before him and coming behind him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, less than a week later, we see the crowds asking Pilate to release a known murderer and instead are crying out that Jesus be crucified. In Mark chapter 15, starting with verse 12, we read that Pilate asked the crowd, What shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted, All the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas the murderer. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. We read that all of Jesus' disciples had forsaken him. He was mocked and struck and spit upon. And his clothes were taken. And he was reviled even by the most reviled criminals among them. But worst of all, Jesus was in utter darkness and bearing all the wrath of God, Jesus was completely and utterly forsaken by his Father. And this reality, what Jesus endured for us, as I've mentioned, it's just taken on new meaning for me this year. And I think that's because I've seen, I've witnessed with my own eyes more than ever before, the fickle and cruel and evil spirit of the crowd. The crowd who loves you one day, abandons you the next. The crowd will feed off of your fame and then delight in your demise. A crowd will celebrate you and align with you and then deny you at the slightest turn of popular approval. It's really sick to watch this happening. With social media, um, I just think we can see this happening to people all around us in real time. We're even participating in it uh, sometimes, at least I am to some degree, though I'm definitely not proud to admit that Uh, it's true. This week, a Christian writer I respect uh, ended up in the middle of um, a controversy of sorts, and The crowds were starting to encircle this guy like prey on social media. And I realized I just wanted to act like I never knew him. Though I didn't necessarily disagree with him. My instinct was to distance myself from him, to forsake him. Even if it was just a virtual forsaking, I could feel it inside. A teacher who had faithfully taught me in truth was in the crosshairs. And my instinct was to self-protect, to step back. Uh, And that made me think of Peter. Peter, who loved Jesus. Peter, who identified Jesus as the Christ. And Peter, who sat and served under Rabbi Jesus in ministry, denied Jesus three times, even though he had just resolved that he would never fall away. And it made me think of Paul, who wrote in 2 Timothy 1.15, you are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me. All who were in Asia turned away from Paul, and that included people who apparently had been close to him. But Paul said uh, in verse 16 of 1 Timothy chapter 1 that there was a man who was not ashamed of Paul's chains. That man often refreshed Paul, and he searched for Paul earnestly until he found him. Um, But more than that, we know that Paul was never fully alone because in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, we read God's promise, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then in verse 6 of Hebrews chapter 13, it says, we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The crowd will turn on us. Now more than ever, the crowd makes a sport out of stripping fellow human beings of dignity and belonging. The crowd still loves a good crucifixion. And that seriously seems to be true on every side of the political and spiritual spectrum. I don't see many exceptions out there. The crowd is still thirsty for blood. But because Jesus spilled his blood, we will never be completely cut off. We will never be utterly forsaken. We can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? But Jesus was utterly forsaken for us. May we never forget. So today has been a sobering day of discussion. I'm praying that what we've been considering will help us more fully appreciate the significance of this season If you're listening to this podcast on or near the day on which this episode uh, is being released, then Good Friday, which is the day Jesus died on the cross, will be coming up in about two weeks, Easter Sunday. The day of Jesus' resurrection is also about two weeks out. So again, as we approach this season, I'm praying that we all take in. I'm praying that we all really ingest the truths we've been processing. Do you remember our reading from last week? Not our reading this week, but the week before in chapter 14, entitled The Feast. Keller explained that it was not enough that a lamb was slain and its blood put on the doorposts. The lamb also had to be eaten. It had to be taken in. And uh, he likened that to our taking of communion by saying that the Lord's Supper is a way of taking in the death of Christ for yourself and appropriating it personally. And I thought that applied to a portion of our reading this week as well. In chapter 16, The Sword, on page 206 of the paperback, again, I'm reading my copy in paperback, so I'm not sure if you hardback copies are going to be on the same page as me, but on page 206 of the paperback edition, Keller starts discussing Peter's reaction to Jesus's arrest. If you remember in Mark chapter 14, verse 47, we read that when Jesus was seized, one of those who stood by drew his sword and cut off the ear of the servant of the high priest. In the gospel of John, we learned uh, that this ear cutter offer was Peter. And again, Peter flips out like this uh, when Jesus was initially seized, and this was obviously before Peter denied Jesus, and I can't help but think maybe, to some degree, maybe Peter is setting out to prove his loyalty to Jesus here. Remember, Jesus told Peter earlier that night that Peter would deny Jesus three times before the rooster crowed, and Peter says, no way, so... Here, Peter busts out his sword and chops off the ear of one of the guys who is there to arrest Jesus. But according to John chapter 18, verse 11, Jesus doesn't celebrate Peter's fierce alliance. Instead, the scripture tells us that Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? And in Luke 22, verse 51, we see that Jesus actually touched the servant's ear and healed him. And Keller, uh, relating to this account, says Peter knows about the kingdom of God. He has heard Jesus' teaching about it over a period of years. Yet, when push comes to shove, what's his instinct? Pull out that sword. Aren't we kind of like Peter? We say we're on the side of justice, of peace, of fairness, But when a challenge arises, we feel for the sword hilt, we're exactly like Peter. And sadly, I have to say that I agree with Keller. I think we are exactly like Peter. Why? Well, I think we're like Peter because we're not fully taking in the Lord's Supper. Remember Keller explained the Passover lamb also had to be eaten. It had to be taken in. Likewise, the Lord's Supper is a way of taking in the death of Christ for yourself and appropriating it personally. Taking in the death of Christ for yourself and appropriating it personally? What does that mean? Most of us regularly take communion, right? So I don't think that's what he means here. What I think he means is that, sure, we'll take communion, but we don't live it. We don't, in remembrance of Jesus Christ our Lord, actually lay down our lives, lay down our agendas, lay down our ambitions, lay down our pride, lay down our defense, lay down our rights, lay down our positions, lay down our all. We don't do that for those around us. We're like Peter in the garden and we bust out the sword. I was talking to friends uh, about this At dinner uh, the other night, we were talking about how in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, and Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, um, God's word is likened to a sword. In fact, Hebrews 4, 12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And I think sometimes as Christians, we have that sword of the spirit in our hand. We have that word in our hand and it's sharp. And we use it uh, as a weapon against people. Even though Ephesians uh, chapter six, verse 12 teaches us that we do not wrestle against people. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities. Against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. But we take God's word, we take the sword, and we cut people down with it. Instead of using it to tenderly slice out cancer and promote healing in the marrow of our bones, we chop off ears in fierce alliance to the truth. We don't know how to effectively wield the sword of the spirit because we haven't fully submitted ourselves to the sword of the spirit we haven't taken it in like we see ezekiel doing in ezekiel chapter 3 before he goes to others with the word of the lord he first takes the scroll in and eats it you have to go in and check that out i think it's chapter 3 verse 3 he eats it he takes it in before he goes to others with the word of the lord and that's what i'm praying we're all doing through this study myself included i don't want to feed you what i haven't myself taken in i don't want to attempt to wield a sword that hasn't cut me first at the conclusion uh, of his teaching on this portion of the chapter keller said to peter and to all of us jesus is saying my kingdom is not of this world it's completely different This is how I'm going to change things. I'm going to put others ahead of myself. I'm going to love my enemies. I'm going to serve and sacrifice for others. I'm not going to repay evil with evil. I'm going to overcome evil with good. I will give up my power, my life. Weakness, poverty, suffering, and rejection will now be at the top of the list. My revolution comes without the sword. It's the first true revolution. Okay, so that concludes the podcast for today. Thank you so much for listening. Again, believe it or not, this week coming up is our last week of the study of Tim Keller's book, Jesus the King, and are reading through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, So this week, read chapter 18 and the after section of Jesus the King, and in your Bible, finish up the Gospel of Mark by reading Mark chapter 16. As always, if at any point you forget what we're scheduled to read, you can always check it out under the resources section of my website, amyonthehill.com. Also, as always, please feel free to get in touch with me. If you have any comments or questions this week, I love hearing from you. It's such a blessing to me, especially because I record this podcast in a room by myself. So it's really a huge encouragement for me to hear that amazingly God is working through the reading and even through our discussions. That's really uh, so, so encouraging for me to hear. And I'm so grateful to God for that. So Okay, as we close, uh, I want to ask that once again, you prepare your heart to personally receive the benediction. I'm going to speak over you from Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. So please receive this benediction in faith. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you.